Well, hope it's been a great morning for you so far. Today is Mother's Day, and for those of you who are moms or have moms, it can be a very special day, and so we hope you've taken time to, to honor the mom in your life. I know of one church uh, that I saw a picture of earlier today that placed um, cards in the men's bathroom in case men had forgotten. Um, so we have not done that. You guys are on your own this morning. But we also know that for many of us, today is more pain-filled than your typical Hallmark card. And a few years ago, I stumbled on a reading by a woman named Amy Young, and it's called The Wide Spectrum of Mothering. And we'll have this posted on our Facebook page later today. But I just wanted to read this as we got started this morning. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost the child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with the little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make it harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your mother, we stand with you today. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and other testing of motherhood this year, we are better for having you in our midst. To those of you who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those of you who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those of you who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those of you who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you, for mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. We pray with me? God, there are so many emotions on a day like this. So many experiences, so many memories, so many feelings. You promise us in the scriptures that you are near to us when we grieve, when we're brokenhearted that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And so we pray this day that you would be present here with all of these experiences and more represented in this room. And we pray that you would work in a powerful way this day. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our series called Resurrection People, Living as Easter People All Year Long. And it's actually not that far off from Mother's Day. If you have had a positive relationship with a mother or a mothering influence in your life, you know that at her best, 
A mother creates space, holds space, and nurtures. She comes alongside and enables belief where belief wasn't possible before. Sustaining, caring, and comforting. And this morning, we're going to talk and continue this conversation about how we can be people who live out the resurrection, not just on one day in the spring, but every day in our lives. And so our big idea this morning is this. Resurrection people make space for other people to experience resurrection too. If you have a copy of the handout, there's a way for you to follow along this morning and some blanks for you to fill in and some some space for you to take notes. At the heart of being a resurrection person, if you've experienced resurrection, is making space so that other people can experience what you experience. The movie Pay It Forward was filmed in my hometown, and so that idea that there is an experience you have that has so transformed you that you want to give it to someone else is at the core of the message this morning. And we're going to look at a passage that challenges that idea because it's, it's, a, it's a, a nice idea to talk about, but it's much harder to do practically. And so if you have a Bible, if you'd open it up or turn it on and turn to Acts chapter 9. We've been in Acts for the last four or five weeks, and we'll conclude this series next week. And Acts is the history of the early church. Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles. And so we're looking at these early believers and exploring how they put into practice this resurrection thing that was changing their world. And so this morning, I want to ask a question, and that question is, how do we make space for other people? How do we give them the gift that has been given to so many of us? How do we do this? And to answer this question, we're going to look at probably the most famous conversion experience in the Bible, a man named Saul whose life was radically changed. And beginning in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, this is what we read. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which was the common term for followers of Jesus in that day, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The first way that we make space for other people to experience resurrection is that we don't judge a life by one chapter. We don't judge a life by one chapter. If you know anything about what's happened so far in the book of Acts, the church has grown at a rapid rate from 120 people to over 10,000 in just a few short weeks. And Last week, Pastor Josh did a great job describing how they responded creatively to needs that arose. And this man, Saul, comes on the scene, and we first meet him as he's holding the coats of men and women who are throwing rocks at a man named Stephen, and they keep throwing the rocks until Stephen dies. Saul has a reputation, and his reputation is one who is against Christians who murders Christians, and who threatens and arrests believers. We'll talk about this guy named Saul today, but one thing I need to mention is that his name does not change. It's one of the common myths about this guy. You may have heard him referred to as Paul. I'm going to do my best to call him Saul today, but I'm probably going to fudge three or four times. 
Because later on in Acts 13, chapter 9, he begins to be referred to as Paul, but his name doesn't change. These are both his names all the time. My name is Scott Edward Savage. None of you know me as Edward, but I could at any time decide I'm going to start going by Edward because it's also my name. And in the same way, Saul has these two names. And he has this reputation for killing Christians, for doing everything he can to destroy the church. He's not a very well-loved guy. I mean, I was thinking this week, and somebody suggested to me the equivalent of Paul. Well, see, I told you I was in fudge. The equivalent of Saul in that day is what we have in terms of ISIS. People who murder Christians. And how many of us judge people like that? by just what we see in their life up until right now. Many of us know what happens with Saul. We'll talk about that today. But the tendency for us is to judge someone's life by just the story they're living. When the truth is, the chapter someone is living isn't their whole story. So that's been true in your life and mine. If we just took one season of our life, picked it up, and just examined it, we can make a whole host of judgments about that person. My wife and I joke that if she met me in college, we would not have gotten married. Some of that is because I dyed my hair bleach blonde. I couldn't find the picture this week. Some of that's because I was pretty stuck up and arrogant. I thought I was better than a lot of people. But if you just take a passage of Scripture and read it on its own, or take this chapter of somebody's life and just examine it on its own, you can make all sorts of judgments, but that isn't the whole story. And that isn't the the story with Paul. It's also not the story for us. The chapter you're living today isn't your whole story either. And for some of you, that's really good news because you're in the middle of a really difficult season. Maybe you're in a season where you're reaping the consequences of destructive choices. Maybe you're in a season of doubt or suffering or pain. Maybe you're in a season in your marriage where things are closer to falling apart than they are happily ever after. And this example we have today in Saul's story is a reminder that the chapter you're living isn't the whole story. And so we read verse 1 and 2, we go, yeah, but we know what happens to Paul. But Paul didn't have Acts 13. He only had Acts 9, 1 and 2. He was just living his life moment by moment. And so it's a reminder to all of us to not judge someone's life by just what we see today. Because for many of us, we didn't get judged by just one season in our story. Other people left room for us to change and transform. And so our calling is to give that gift to someone else too. The story continues in verse 3. It says, Now as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus speaking. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. 
And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. The second thing we can do to create space for other people is that we can pray for encounters with Jesus to transform lives. We can pray for encounters with Jesus to transform lives. At the end of the day, none of us are capable of changing someone else. If you need convincing of this, just talk to somebody who's married in the room. We can't change each other, and if we do, it's a very frustrating experience when we try. And yet Paul, see, there you go again, Saul is walking along the road to Damascus, and he sees a light, and he hears a voice, and he has an encounter with Jesus. God breaks into Saul's plans. He interrupts his trip. And as we'll see, life change, resurrection comes in Saul's life because of this moment. You see, every Sunday morning when we plan a worship service in this room, our intent is to make space for you, if you're here in this room, or for you who are watching online, to encounter Jesus. That's our goal. Our goal isn't to give you 20 minutes of Christian karaoke and 30 minutes of motivational speaking. Our goal is for you to have an encounter with Jesus. And that's how we judge success. Because we want you to experience what many of us have, where we encounter Jesus and it was a line in the sand. There was who we were before and now who we are after. Somebody will you know, tell me, I, I loved your sermon. That's great. You, you changed my life. Hold on, we'll stop right there. I didn't change your life. God may have used me, but he's the one who's in the business of changing lives. We cannot change anyone. We can pray for people to encounter Jesus. God can use us in the lives of other people. But if I change you, that change is going to be shallow and short-lived. The change comes when people encounter Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, you will not remain the same. Either you'll leave and go, I'm going to ignore and deny and push away from that, or you're going to embrace that and be changed. See, we cannot change anyone, but Jesus will use us. And as we'll see in a little bit in this story, that that Saul encounters Jesus and then he uses, Jesus uses, other people to continue that transformational work. This is the tension We pray for Jesus to transform lives, and we know that his primary conduit for doing it is broken, sinful people like you and me. You know what still gets me every Sunday? Every Sunday. I've been doing this for almost 15 years. When I say something and you write it down, it still blows my mind. Because the first sermon I gave almost 15 years ago, I was talking so fast, no one could understand anything I was saying, much less comprehend it to write it down. And I know all the things I've worked through in my head as excuses about why God can't use me. And so when somebody writes something down that I say, or they tell me about how God used it in their life later, or I watch them share it on social media every single time, I go, seriously? See, we pray for Jesus to transform lives, but we know that he's going to use us in that process. The story continues in Acts 9, verse 8. 
It says, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. The third thing that we talk about today we can do is that we can allow God to prepare us for transformation moments. We can allow God to prepare us for transformation moments. See, see Saul stands up from this encounter with Jesus, and he can hear, he can walk, he can touch, he can smell, he can taste, but he can't see. And so somebody who was a very powerful man has to be led along. And it says that he goes into a room and for three days he sits, he does nothing, he says nothing, he eats nothing, and he drinks nothing. It's as if he's waiting for something to happen. Some of you have had dark moments like that in your life or you've watched someone else go through it where there was just waiting. Like you go to the doctor and they take a biopsy And you're like, I can get a package from China in a day via Amazon, but I have to wait a week for a biopsy? Are you kidding me? And you just wait in that space? Or you have a conflict, and you wait to hear from that person because you know if it's going to resolve. See, many of us have had moments where we were waiting for God. He was preparing us. He was ministering to us. We were longing for something to happen. And in many of those moments, we felt profoundly unprepared. We felt profoundly ill-equipped. We felt inadequate. One of the most inadequate days of my life was April 10th, 2012. It was the day that I met my son, Wesley, for the first time. And the first time I held him in my arms, I was like, oh, crap. I'm a dad. I'm not, I'm not ready for this. I don't know what to do. You know, I remember the first night we came into the room and, and the nurse, this very large, very loud black woman, I was trying to, you know, you know, fold the little, you know, blanket thingy. And she comes up and she's like, "Hun, you ain't going to break him. Come on, let me show you. And she kind of helped me to, you know, swaddle him. And it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And some of you who are here today, your, your dads and your moms or your grandparents, and you're now raising your grandkids your foster parents, and in a day you became the parent of a teenager. You didn't have 12 years to get ready for that. Maybe you're helping someone raise a kid because you're realizing that it takes more than a mom and dad to raise healthy kids. And here's what I want to remind you. Here's what I remembered. That day that I held Wesley, I, it was one of those days where I, I preached to myself, you know, like my, something I said comes in boomerangs back to me. And I remember this phrase that I had said in a sermon before, that God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And so if you're here today and you're a parent, you're a mom or a dad, you're a grandparent, you're a foster parent, you're involved helping a family to raise their children and you feel completely inadequate, here's what you need to know. God's not surprised. And God is going to give you everything... You need to do everything he's called you to do. And that space of feeling inadequate and ill-prepared is exactly the space where you can learn a new sense of dependence on God. He's going to prepare you and equip you for everything he wants to do through you. 
and it's terrifying. And it's exactly where he wants you to be. The story gets really interesting in verse 10. It says, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now let's be clear, this is not the guy who dropped dead a couple weeks ago. He hasn't come back to life, for those of you who remember that sermon. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And for I will show him now how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. The fourth thing that we can do to make space for other people is that we can repent when we're too quick to judge and too slow to celebrate. We can repent when we're too quick to judge and too slow to celebrate. See, here's the thing. Ananias is known as a a man of God in the city of Damascus. He's a follower of Jesus, and he is terrified to go see Saul. For good reason. This guy kills people like him. Word had gotten ahead of Saul's arrival that he's coming to arrest guys like Ananias. And Jesus goes, go pay him a visit. He's like, um, Jesus, I'm not sure if word has reached heaven yet, but it's reached Damascus. (laughs) And here's why this guy came here. Paul was this imposing figure. I told someone this week, he was like a combination of Albert Einstein and The Rock. I mean, he was just an imposing figure in every way. He was smart and powerful. And yet God challenges Ananias and says, I've called Saul. I'm going to redeem him. I'm going to use him. I mean, think about it. If word reached you that Someone from ISIS was staying across the street at the Best Western, the Prescottonian. And you heard they were coming to do a conference in town. And Jesus says, hey, go over and see them in their room. Excuse me, Jesus? You mean to go visit ISIS? They kill people like me and then post it on YouTube. And yet Jesus says, this is what I do. I bring people from death to life. I transform them from opposed to me to for me. See, I think many times we're both too quick and we're too slow. We're too quick to judge people based upon their past. We're too quick to let one chapter in their story define them. And then when they change, we're too slow to celebrate it. Miss it on the front end, miss it on the back end. A few weeks ago on Easter Sunday, I I shared about expecting resurrection. And in in my community group the following week, we were talking about this idea of, is it harder to expect resurrection in yourself or in someone else? And around the table that night in our community group, we said that we struggle 
with expecting resurrection in others. There's people that we all know that are like Ananias to Paul. They're never going to change. This is who they are. And so when, when and if Jesus does work change in their life, we're very quick to judge. Oh, that's just for manipulation purposes. You haven't really changed. You're just trying to take advantage of me. And then when they really have changed, we're too slow to celebrate it because we don't actually believe it. And yes, there is calling in Scripture. Jesus spoke to his disciples and he says, you need to be shrewd as snakes and pure as doves. And there are times where people do manipulate us. And there are times where change is not real. But on the whole, me and many of you, we're really quick to judge. And we're really slow to celebrate when it's somebody like Saul. And yet, let's go back to our past. Other people weren't quick to judge us. They let us change. Other people celebrated with us when we made progress. Why are we hoarding the gift and not giving it to them? So let's see what happens when Ananias goes and visits Saul. It says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, not around his throat, but on his shoulders, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. The fifth way that we can make space for other people is that we can embrace our calling as agents of healing and blessing. We can embrace our calling as agents of healing and blessing. Ananias goes, probably terrified. I mean, scared. Where are you going today, honey? I'm going to go see this guy named Saul. I may not come back. You have to come bail me out of jail. And he goes and he lays hands on him. And the first words he says is, Brother Saul. A warm greeting. And he lays hands on him. And he blesses him. And what happens next is that Saul is healed. He receives the Spirit. says he was baptized. Likely Ananias baptized him. And he says that he began to eat. And as we'll see, the world was never the same. Because of that one encounter. See, following Jesus means life-on-life contact. It means touching people, stepping towards them with courage and recognizing that God wants to use us in their life. And yet, what is so interesting is you just read the last story about Ananias in the Bible. It's also the first story of Ananias in the Bible. It's the first and last story of Ananias in the Bible. Every other mention of this Ananias is in reference to this moment. This is all we know about him. This is all he's remembered for. Question for you. What if you're only remembered for impacting one life? What if, like Ananias, God's purpose for you is to impact one life? Is that enough? 
For many of us, whatever our age, we have an idea of legacy. We want to make an impact. Well, guess what? All we remember Ananias for is this moment. For the impact he had on one person. Now that one person is a significant person. He's the most successful church planner in world history. He's the reason why you're here today. He authored half of the New Testament and a quarter of the Bible. So if you're just going to influence one person, this is a pretty good person to pick. But it's just one person. And today, as we're talking about Mother's Day, I was reminded of the roles of mothers and fathers. Because you are in the people development business. And it is not easy. At 3 o'clock, it's a hallmark moment. And at 4 o'clock, it's about to be a bloodbath, you know? Like, <laughs> in the morning, you want to snuggle them. And at lunchtime, you want to strangle them. <laughs> and a few years ago, I stumbled on a quote that has particular relevance to this message today from Andy Stanley. And he said this, Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God might not be something you do. It might be someone you raise. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God might not be something you do. It might be someone you raise. And for those of us who are very task-oriented, who write things down just to cross them off, it's a reminder that God wants to use us You know, mothering and fathering are high callings in the kingdom of God. And you don't have to be a parent to mother and father. But if you are a mother or a father, those are high callings. They don't have corner offices. You don't get a bonus at the end of the year. But God uses you. What's interesting is that Ananias isn't the only person that Saul needs to get to a place of prominence. He needs Ananias to come and heal him so he can see and be baptized and the rest. But then later on down the road, Saul moves and no one believes that he's changed. Some of us can relate to this. Or people don't believe that you've actually become who you say you are. And then he meets another man who is a significant influence on his life. In verse 26, it says, Then Saul came to Jerusalem and he attempted to join the disciples and they were afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. See, same problem that Ananias had. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how, he, how on the road Saul had seen the Lord, Saul had spoken to him, and how the disciples, and how at Damascus he'd preached boldly in the name of Jesus. The final way we can make space for other people is that we can affirm the resurrection stories of others. We can affirm them. Barnabas steps up and he validates Saul's conversion. Without Ananias and Barnabas, it's incredible to think what wouldn't have happened. Because if Saul wasn't legitimate, the church would have never trusted him and he would have not been the tip of the spear on the expansion of the global movement of Christianity. Our calling is to stand up for those who aren't being offered the chance or allowed to change. The thing is, We have an opportunity to come alongside people, to put a hand on a shoulder and say, I believe in you. I see this in you. I am watching you change.
I've been reminded in recent days that our words have the power to speak life and death in someone else. Our words have the power to speak life and death in someone else. And some of you today, Mother's Day is a hard day because you remember the words your mother spoke over you years ago and they weren't great words. It's so funny how we can remember a phrase that somebody said to us 20, 30, even 50 years ago for good and for bad, for life and for death. Today, I've been thinking about my mom. She and my dad will celebrate 40 years of marriage later this month. My dad will celebrate 35 years pastoring the same church in November. And I can't remember words my mom has spoken to me. I remember when I was trying to decide what to major on in college, and I finally decided that I was going to be a pastor, and my mom told me that she'd been praying for me every day for two years because she had a sense that this is what I was supposed to do, but she didn't want to unduly influence me. And if you know my mom, her restraint in not saying something (laughs) is like Jesus turning water into wine and walking on water. I love my mom, and I'm so glad she did. But today, you have an opportunity to speak words of life into your children, into the people around you, words they will remember forever. And their stories will go sometimes different directions because of the words you speak. I've got some questions I want you to process with me today and in the week to come in your community groups. And the first one is this. Who do you relate to in the story? Do you relate to Paul or Saul? Do you relate to somebody who is judged, who isn't allowed to change? Do you relate to Ananias, that God wants you to have an impact on somebody, but you're afraid? Do you relate to Barnabas, that you have an opportunity to support and encourage and bless someone else with your influence and your words? Second, where is God working in those around you? When you think about the people that God has placed in your life and in the lives of those around you, where is God working? Where do you see him moving? And are you even open to that? I mean, I'll be honest. Part of this message that convicted me is there are just certain people I have written off that God has done working in them. And that's wrong. And so sometimes you need to ask yourself, am I even open to God working in the people around me before you can ask, where is God working in those around you? And then third, what is God calling you to do in response? Is he calling you to change your posture? Is he calling you to change your words? Is he calling you to repent and ask for forgiveness? This making space business is not easy. And we're not guaranteed what the outcome is in the life of the person we're making space for. What God does call us to do is he's entrusted us to obey him. And he's asking us to trust him with the outcome. There are people in your life that we don't know how their life is going to turn out, if they're going to change. What we do know is that our business is obedience and God's business is outcome. And if we stay in our lane and what God has called us to do through faithfulness and obedience, it's amazing what God does. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day for the reminder that you want to use us. 
for the reminder that you've used other people. In our past, there are people like Ananias and Barnabas who stepped in, who blessed us. You worked through them to heal us. They affirmed us and saw things in us that maybe we didn't even yet see ourselves. And so on this day, we give thanks for those people. They're part of our resurrection stories. But God, if those stories stop there, you're calling us, I believe, this day to make space for other people to experience what we have experienced. And sometimes people can't change because the people of faith around them don't have faith enough for them. And so, God, we repent of that. We pray that you would work and move and transform our hearts even as we're praying that you'd work and move and transform the hearts of people around us. And we don't know if the end of their story is going to look different than this chapter. But we know that you are the God of resurrection. This is your business. This is your work. This is what you do. And so this day, we lay those people's names before you. And we ask that you would write a new ending to their story, even as you are writing a new ending to ours. And we thank you that there were an Ananias and a Barnabas there when you interrupted Saul's plans on that road. And we pray that we would be like Ananias and Barnabas for the people around us. There may be some Saul's in this room today that you've been going one and God is interrupting your life. He didn't ask your permission. He never does. And if he's moving in your heart today, then as the words of this psalm are to sing, claim you can run to him. You can leave behind the darkness and the sin and the shame and you can run to him and find the freedom you've been looking for. God, this day, let us not be simply people who celebrate our own resurrection or who celebrate your resurrection. Continue to shape us and mold us and transform us to be people who believe it for our world. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.cornerstone.com prescottcornerstone.com